Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté que la grande famille de l'Église 180. So I watched um, uh, your service last week. I watched uh, what was happening because I knew I was coming today and I wanted to be able to follow well off of the, the whole Ten Commandments, this Guidelines for Freedom series that you're doing. And you looked at commandment number one today. We're going to look at number two. And I just loved, um, Pastor Dom, that you told everyone, you challenged everyone to read the book of Exodus sometime during the summer. How many of you have read the whole thing now since last Sunday? Anyone? Anyone? How many cracked it open? Okay, that's good. That's good, right? And I, I'm a big fan of that. I, I, it drives me crazy when we take a verse or something uh, just, and just focus on that in Scripture, and we don't look at where it landed. We don't look at uh, the story that it's in. It, it's a lot better for our understanding, a lot better for our growth if we do that. So I really, I'm going to encourage you to take on the challenge that your pastor gave you and uh, read the book of Exodus. Pick a, pick a version. I use the New Living. Maybe it, there's different ones that get used. But find a good translation that works for you and, uh, and uh, read it because it's going to help you. Because in Exodus, in the story of Exodus, which is the story of the Israelite people coming out of slavery in Egypt, Dom, you said last week that, that we, they were, God was showing them that this was a God who cared about his people. This was a God who wasn't just out there to just use people and manipulate them and use them for his own benefit. This was a God who actually loves his people. And you said, that's new. That's new. That's a new thing for the people to understand. And so God sets them physically free out of slavery, but then his point is now to help them learn what it is to live spiritually free and to understand what that means. And so these commands, these guidelines for freedom, are, are how God is forming his people. And he's forming them into this really unique, very different Um, very specific community of faith he's forming them into, something a little bit different than anything anyone has seen before. because all And he's forming them that way and giving them these commandments, these guidelines to help them understand it because all they know and all they remember for the most part is what they saw in Egypt. That's all they know, right? That's all they've experienced. And God is going, nope, we're going we're gonna to do something different here. We're going to form a community of faith that looks different. I'm a God that is different than what, you've been, than what you've been following. And so he's helping them to understand all of this. And so I just want to point out one other thing before we dive in today. And that is that, that when these commandments are given, I just think it's important for us as a side note to realize these commands are not given. It's not a requirement. It's not a condition for them to be set free from slavery. They're already free. Okay? God has already set them free. And so following these commands and following these guidelines is, is walking out their freedom. It's the outcome of what God has already done for them. So grace comes before law, okay? which is kind of cool. And so I just want you to know that. And so this is a walking out. God has rescued them. So, so last week, commandment number one was there's only one God, and that's crazy to them because they've come from a culture where there are multiple gods. Everybody knows there are many, many gods, especially in Egypt. You just worship them all, make sure that you hit, you know, at least one. And, and it seems a bit vulnerable, a little bit crazy, a little bit weird, a little bit vulnerable to only worship one God. I mean, talk about putting all your eggs in one basket, right? It's a little bit risky, a little bit of vulnerability. It's, it's a lot of putting your whole trust in this one God. There's no plan B God. In this, in this new faith that they're starting to understand. That was the first commandment, okay? Here we go. Hold up two fingers. I'm just going to make you move every now and then. Then I know you're there. Hold up two fingers. Okay. Number two. Number two. Okay. This is in Exodus chapter 20. It's also in Deuteronomy chapter 5. The whole list is the same in both places for the few changes, but they're exactly the same for commandment number two. Here's what it says. 
You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Okay, I know you have questions about the second half. We'll get there. We're going to look at the first half first, okay? So command number one was there's only one God, and that's new, and that's weird. And command or guideline number two is no images of this God. No, no physical representations of this God. That's also new. That's also a little bit, little bit strange. No pictures, no carvings, no figures, no idols, nothing at all, no, visible, no visual representation, nothing that you can point at and go, that's God right there. That's my God. This is my God. You, you can't, there's a, this is weird, you guys, because everybody knows you got to know what your God looks like, right? You got to have an idol. You gotta have an image of God. You gotta have something because how else are they gonna know where their gods are if they can't see them? How are they gonna know what their God looks like if you if you can't see them? You gotta have something to pray at. You gotta have something to to look at. You gotta have something that you can touch. How can you have a God that you can't even see? That you can't even point at? And it, it seems like God wants them to understand first. At the very beginning, as they're figuring out what it is to, to be in this community of faith, they seem like, it seems like God is wanting them to understand he's a lot bigger than they think. Okay? He's a lot more than they think. And he's wanting them to get that because he's going, how can you understand a God who is everywhere if you have him sitting on the table right here? Right? How can, you, how can you understand a God and, and worship a God that is all-powerful if you actually created him? How can you do that? How can you, how can you worship a God saying he's present everywhere if when you go to the cottage for the weekend, you have to pack him up and put him in a suitcase and bring him along, right? God's going, no, I'm a lot bigger than you think I am. And it's like the first thing that they need to understand as they worship this one God, is that he can never, never be captured, can never be contained, can never be fully comprehended. That's huge. That's huge. He wants him to understand he can't be contained in, a God, in, in, in some sort of an object. It's not something that a worshiper can pick up this object and go, there, I have this special power now. I have God in my hands. I can use this for whatever I need. So, so any image, any representation that is going to limit God, that is going to reduce God or shrink God down, anything that's going to stop God from being all that God is, no, it's rejected. No images of God. And then also, as you're reading this scripture, you're going to see that although um, there are things in, in nature, things in creation that point to God, no images of those things either. Okay, how many like the mountains or trees? You like to go there and it helps you, helps you feel connected. Anybody? Else? Seriously, I need responses, people. This is the kind I am. Okay, there you go. Thank you. Because otherwise, I'm just going to leave. And, you know, that's, and that's that. So, so Bible talks about creation points to God. Nature points to God, right? It helps us lift our eyes and go, wow, something created this somewhere. And God says, yes, that's true. But don't go making any, don't go making any images of that to help you worship. Don't, don't do any of that thing either. And that's also new. That's also weird for them. Because in the culture that they're in, as they're going to go into the promised land, and they're surrounded by the Canaanite culture, there's, there's all kinds of, everybody there uses, they use the elements, you know, fire and wind and, and all of that. They use the elements, they use objects of nature because it helps them to worship. They use that to facilitate worship. It plays a central role in their forms of worship to God. And, and, and right now, all these people in Canaan and all the, you know, the people that had been from Egypt and the ones that are around them are going, looking at these Hebrew people that have just come out going, you know what? You guys are kind of weird. Like your God is weird. You can't even see your God. 
You're not even allowed to have anything that you look at to help you worship your God. I don't think you even have a God, is what the cultures around them are saying. And so right away, you see within these first two commands, right? Only one God, no images of God. You see right away, this, this is different. And God is creating this community of people that are sharply different from everyone around them really distinguished from everybody around them. This is not same God, different name. This is not, oh, just throw this God into the mix of all the other gods and add it in. No, 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 no. Everything is just completely different. So they're not to worship an image of God. They're not to worship an image of any other God, and they're not to worship an image of anything that points to God. And I just want to say, before you get too, too hung up on this, because some of you right now are going, well, wait a minute, but what about... Okay, later on, later on in their history, God's going to give them all kinds of things that they can see and that they can hear and that they can smell and that they can touch, things that are going to remind them of who God is. You're going to see that. It's going to help them facilitate their worship of God when you see how they build the tabernacle, how they build the temple, and the, 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 the ceremonies and the stuff that, that's all part of that. All of these different tools that are going to help point them to God's presence and remind them of God. But at the beginning, as they're figuring this out, nothing. No images of God. Don't reduce God. Because God wants them to understand he cannot be captured, cannot be contained, cannot be fully comprehended. And I think, this is where I go to the I think part, I think, I think, that maybe part of the reason for this, I don't know, this is what I think, I think that maybe part of the reason for this is this was part of our very first temptation as humanity in the Garden of Eden, way back in the beginning. If you know that story, and if you don't, you can, you can check it out later. Just ask Dom. He'll tell you all about it. But, but I, you know, we had our first temptation as humanity was, don't you want to be God? Don't you want to be like God? Don't you want to know everything like God does? Don't you want to control God? Don't you want to control everything like God controls everything? And suddenly it wasn't enough for people to be made in God's image and for people to be treasured by God and loved by God and provided for by God. No, the first temptation was, don't you want to be God? They want to close that gap, you know. And maybe God is thinking back to that moment and going, you know what, let's not, let's not go there again. Because when you create an image, when you create a physical description of God, you start reducing the gap between, between me and God, between you and God. And, and when you start closing that gap before we've really understood who God is and, and what kind of a God he is, suddenly instead of worshiping a God who's everywhere, who's omnipresent, who knows everything and is infinite and much greater than we think he is and mysterious and incomprehensible and all of those things. Suddenly, if we create something physical, I mean, we're worshiping a God who just sits on a shelf here, right? And, and is contained and is limited, limited to, to a sacred space. That's where God lives. And a God that's maybe a little bit pleasing to us. We like how, you know, he looks and how he feels. And, and maybe he's actually made in our image, a little bit. And, and, but this God, this God is going, uh-uh. I'm not comparable to anything else. I'm not, I, you can't liken me to anything else. And this is what, way later, the prophet Isaiah was talking about when he's, you know, bringing some correction to the Israelite people because, you know, no sooner do they get guidelines, they're just going off on their own. And so he's bringing some correction and he's talking to them about this. This is what he says. I just love these verses. They kind of make me laugh. In Isaiah chapter 40, starting at verse 18, he says, with whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. You know, put some nice jewelry on your God. A person who's too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot, 
And they look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple because it's awkward. It's awkward when your God starts to rot and kind of fall apart. Right? That's just a little bit, it's a little bit awkward. Honey, we, we got to refinish the God again. Got some moisture in there. We left him out overnight. We need to, you know, I have neighbors who, who and I, I saw them yesterday, and they were out working on their deck, and one of them was scraping, and the other one was painting, and I said, oh, my goodness, do you do this every year? And they said, you know, when we built this deck, nobody told us we should just stain it, so we painted it. And they said, and we painted it with exterior paint, but the exterior paint doesn't matter that it's exterior. It chips off every year. Some of you are nodding. Maybe you made the same mistake, or you, maybe we have the same neighbors. And so they, every year, they had to scrape it all down and paint it over again, right, and redo. Could you imagine if we had to do that for our God? That's awkward, right? And it's, it's awkward, you know, when your God topples over. That's awkward. When you're, you're praying to a God and whoop, it just tips off and sort of rolls off the table and, and goes across and you, and you pick it up really quick, dust it off, that didn't happen. Okay, God, you're all right. You know, it's all, how could you worship a God like that? But this is, this is what we do. We, we worship a God that we have created. We, we, and then that God falls over, right, or, or gets some moisture in it and starts getting, and our faith breaks and and then and then we start to see how small and how powerless this god is that we've created and then we don't know what to do with ourselves anymore okay let me bring this to today today there's a lot of talk especially if you're on social media because people talk a lot there there's a lot of talk on social media about deconstructing about people that are Christians deconstructing their faith. Lots of people are talking about that, and, and, and they're try- you know, everybody means different things by it, but they're talking about trying to figure out um, an authentic version of their faith, what it means to genuinely follow Jesus, to authentically be a follower of Jesus and be a Christian, but maybe without some of the trappings and some of the baggage and some of the, the stuff that you grew up with, you know, maybe in your church or maybe attached to Christian faith. You know how there's, there's your authentic faith and then there's the, there's the stuff that sometimes goes along with it. Do you know what I mean by that? I'm just going to go with a yes. Thank you. Thank you for responding right there. I really appreciate that. And lots of people are, t- and it's a tricky process, this deconstructing thing. It can be really fearful. It can be really um, uh, difficult, can be really painful sometimes because you're trying to sort out what's real and what's not and, and what things are actually a part of your faith and what was just sort of a cultural thing or what things are falling apart or is a little bit imperfect, for example. So, so for example, um, when you ever have a, a spiritual leader or you have a pastor or a priest, somebody like that, and, and it turns out, you know, you were really looking at them as a person who knows God, a person that knows faith, a person that taught you, a person that brought you along and invited you to come to faith, and then they turn out to be just human, right? Or deeply flawed. Or even, you know, flat out wrong. And sometimes we find out that some of these, these Christian leaders, pastors, whatever, some of them, it turns out, have even, it comes out they've been abusive, been manipulative, maybe toxic. And then you go, what? Like, what? Because they're the ones you were learning from. They're the ones that invited you to follow Jesus. They're the ones that helped shape your faith, and you're going, well, now, now what, do I, what do I do with this? Honey, we got to polish the God again. He's starting to sort of rot, you know. Or um, another example of deconstructing, when, when sometimes you look around and you, you notice that um, the institution of, of the greater church or a denomination or something. Dom, you just talked about the denomination you guys are part of, all the good things that are part, right? You and I both know sometimes institution structures can get off track, right? Can go, can go a little bit wrong. And, and sometimes when, when an institution like that or a denomination gets off track and starts forgetting that the main priority is Jesus 
and, and Jesus' people and, and showing people who Jesus is forgets that and turns instead to self-preservation because every institution eventually starts to work to preserve itself unless you fight actively against that. And, 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 and now people are getting hurt because you're trying to pre- preserve this institution and trying to preserve this thing. And, and it's always a temptation and all of that. But when an institution or a denomination or something like that goes wrong and it's been part of our faith, it's been part of our journey of faith, what do we do with that? Do we throw out God? Because the representation we had of him turns out to be flawed. Oh, God fell over again. I'll just dust that off. Nobody will see. Prop it back up. And people, people start deconstructing their faith. Maybe this is why God gave this command of no images, no visual representations, not yet, so that we would understand that nobody, nobody, no matter how amazing they are, no matter how good they are, nobody, nobody should ever be used as a full representation of God, as the whole thing. That's idolatry. That's, that's making an image of God because God is not contained to humans, and God is not contained to something that's made by humans. God is transcendent, you know, distanced as well as close. And God is, is omnipotent, which is a big fancy word for all-powerful. And God is all-knowing, and God is timeless. God is infinite, and God is mysterious, and God cannot be comprehended in anything less than that, you guys. Not God. And I... I find that comforting. I find that a little bit comforting because on the days then when church isn't quite what I thought it was supposed to be, not this church, this church is perfect. Right? Yeah. The other churches. You know who I mean, right? The other, that one downtown, right, that I came, like, right? And so, 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 so even on those moments, on the days when the church is just not quite what I thought it was supposed to be, or leadership gets exposed for something that's not right, or even, you know, uh, secondary doctrines are being fought over or being, you know, argued over. Are you sure women can be pastors? I don't think so, right? That kind of a fight. And when that kind of nonsense is happening, these are the things that can really mess up your faith if that's what you have put your faith in. These are the things that can really mess with your head. Even a pastor's head, even a pastor's faith. I once heard Andy Stanley, and like he's right next to Jesus. And he's this big pastor in the States. And I heard him say one time, you know, you think I don't have doubts? I got doubts the rest of you haven't even thought of yet. You know? And, and when I have those questions, when I have those doubts, when I have things that I don't understand, I find it comforting that that's okay. I find it comforting that there's still room in my relationship with God. There's still room in my faith for mystery and for questions and for things that I don't comprehend because God is not contained in what I see and God is not contained in what I know and God is not contained in what I understand. God is much, 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 much bigger than that. And God has given us guidelines, He's given us boundaries, given us borders of, of what falls within, you know, as we follow God. But let's not ever make the mistake of thinking we understand everything within those boundaries and everything within those borders. Let's not make the mistake of thinking we've got it all figured out. And, and that's just that, because that God is going to be too small. And we are not to reduce God to something that we can comprehend, something that we can see and understand. I think that one of the greatest dangers of Christianity today is that we've made our God too small. We've made our God too safe. And sometimes we've done that, you know, in an, in an effort to, to try to be relevant in an effort to try to be understandable, to try to help people understand what our faith is. I think sometimes we've done that, but as we've done that, sometimes we've made our faith simplistic. Just hear me out here, okay? Our faith, in many ways, is a simple faith, 
but it's not simplistic. And, and you go, what do you mean? Like, I mean, you know when we have these little, like, like one-line sayings that, that just sum up the whole thing, where we go, hashtag, blessed life, right? Or, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, right? As if that's super easy like that. Or, you know, well, all things work together for good, so I'll find a parking spot, that'll be fine, right? By the way, love the parking up here, okay? We don't, we don't have that downtown. But, but we get these little one-liners, we get these little sum-up things. Some of you had the promise boxes, right? Where we, we sum up our faith in these tiny little, tiny little bits, these little phrases, these little sentences. And sometimes those things are good. I'm not dissing those things because sometimes they're good. They help us grow in our faith. They're memorable. They help us remember the things that matter. But if they become all there is, eventually those little things are not enough. And then you get a bad diagnosis from the doctor, or your marriage falls apart, even though you claimed that it wouldn't, or any number of things goes wrong, things that go difficult, and there's not an answer, and the little, the little hashtag blessed life is not working, no matter how many times you say it, and then, and then everything starts to fall apart, and everything starts to break, and we are left wondering then what the problem is, because there's either something wrong with God, or there's something wrong with us, and we don't know how to fix either one. And so both of those things break, and then we just walk away. Because we've made our God too small. We've made our God too small. We have made an image of God. We have reduced God to something that is manageable and something that is controllable and something that can be understood. And now we're worshiping that image of God instead of worshiping God himself. One of my most meaningful um, spiritual moments in my own faith journey took part took place when I was in like one of the darkest moments of my life, which I'm not going to get into the whole thing. But, you know, it was, it was a tough time, tough season I was going through. And by the way, I was pastoring at that time. So trying to lead a church, you know, and preach and everything's great. And thank you, Jesus. And inside, like, I'm just hanging on by a thread. And you go, I didn't know pastors ever felt like that. Just me, not yours. Yours is fine, right? But I was going through this season, and, and in that season, like, I was really struggling. Things were not happening the way they were supposed to, the way my understanding had been that they would. There was pain. There was relationships that were struggling, all of this kind of, And I really, really, really was not interested in one more person telling me cheerfully about hashtag blessed life. You know, I might have hit them if they had said that to me because I wasn't seeing that. And things weren't working out for good for me at that time, at least not the way that I thought they were supposed to. And the most meaningful thing that God showed me in that moment was that even in that space, even in that space where I was struggling and where I was a little bit broken and a little bit lost, even in that space when I didn't understand and I couldn't find the answer, and I wasn't sure what the future was going to hold. Even in that space, God was still God. And God was still big enough. And God was still enough. He was big enough to encompass this moment that I was in and say, don't worry, still with you. Still here. And, and I felt lost. And I felt like I was toppling over. <laughs> But God was not. And that's all I needed in that moment. I didn't need somebody to tell me everything was going to be fine. I needed them to tell me that God was present when it wasn't fine. And that God was big enough to handle that. I needed to know that God didn't need me to understand in order for my faith to function. That God is bigger than any image I could make of God. Only one God. And no images of God. So then you can see the people around the Israelites who've come out of Egypt and the, the Canaanite culture that's around them, and they're going, whoa, like, then how do you know who your God is? How do you even know what your God looks like? How do you know what kind of God it is that you're serving if, you know, he's invisible 
And there's no defined image of, of who this God is. How do you know who that is? Well, there's a couple ways. Number one is right there in the scripture. We just read it. And God tells us who God is in scripture. He does it immediately in this verse that we just read. He immediately tells them a little bit of who he is. He says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. How many have questions right now, right? Language is a little bit harsh. It's a little bit difficult, a little bit weird. This statement of, I'm a jealous God, maybe could be translated a little bit better. I'm a, I'm a passionate God, because this is not a removed, dispassionate God who's just way over there going, yeah, whatever. This is a God who cares. This is a God who is concerned about our suffering. This is also a God who is, who is passionate for his people. It's a God who cares a lot. He's jealous for his people. He's passionate about his people. He's not willing to share the worship with anybody else. And, and this God points out to them, he goes, you know, there are consequences for sin. That's probably a different message you probably should preach sometime. But there are consequences for sin, right? And usually those consequences don't only impact us. They impact the people around us. They probably impact some of the generations that are alive in our families right now, which is usually three or four generations at a time. And, and, and that's a little bit what this is pointing to. Like a thousand generations, you understand it's a metaphor, right? We're not actually counting generations going, oh, you're third. You're still being punished. But now we're at the 56th generation. You can be blessed, right? That's not what that is. The point of this whole thing of what God is saying is that mercy outweighs judgment. That's a bit of who this God is. Mercy always outweighs judgment. This is one description of God. This is how he describes himself. This is how we know who this God is. And here's the second one, second way we know who God is. You remember? Ready? You're going to be so ticked that you didn't think of this. By looking at Jesus. Oh, I knew that. Turn the person beside you and go, I knew that. I knew that. I know, I know you don't normally talk in church, but you can when I'm speaking. It's fine, right? God loved the world so much, he sent his son. He didn't send a book. He didn't send Thor's hammer. He didn't send an image. He didn't send a crystal. He didn't send some sort of talisman. God sent God as a person. Remember, people were made in the image of God. God sent God as a person, as a relational, living, breathing human being so that we would know what God looks like and what God is like. And so it literally says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is who God looks like. Jesus said it himself in John chapter 14. He said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen God. That's what Jesus said. And you go, well, what did Jesus look like? Well, that's funny as well, because the ancient church didn't preserve anything of what Jesus looked like. We don't know if he had a big nose. We don't know if he was tall or short. We don't know if he had a bald spot. We don't know anything. We don't know if his legs were oddly short. We don't know anything about what Jesus looked like, but we, what we know is how he spoke. And what we know is what he taught. And what we know is how he acted. And what we know is how he treated people. And what we know is how he spoke of God. If we want to know what God looks like, then we look at Jesus. And we figure out who Jesus is. Okay, so, so what does this mean for us then, right here, right now, today? We're going to get practical, okay? Four things. And I promise I'm only going to take not more than half an hour with each one. Okay? Don't be nervous. That was nervous laughter. It was a joke. Okay? Don't reduce God to an image. Okay? Number one, don't reduce God to what you can understand or control. 
Don't reduce God to what you can understand or control. If you have a formula of blessing, if you have a formula of spiritual success, well, if you just do these three things, or you just pray in this certain way, or you just sing this song followed by that song, then the Spirit will really move, and it'll be great. Don't reduce God to that. God is much, much bigger than you understand. just is. Don't reduce God. To what you can understand or control. Number two, don't reduce God to the tools that facilitate your worship of God. When I was in Bible college, so I play piano, keyboard, and I'm very old. So when I was in church growing up and then was in school, you know, before bands came out like this, we had a piano on one side and an organ on the other. I know it sounds very strange, but that's where God lived, primarily in the organ, okay? Some of you have been to the church that I grew up in. And so I remember when I was in school, and I'm playing the piano, which is the second holiest instrument, and I'm playing the piano, and the person on the organ hadn't shown up that day or they were sick, so they had a worship just with with a piano player. And literally, I had a, I hate to tell you, I shouldn't say this online, I had a prof say to me later, you know, Patty, you played really well, but I just can't worship when there's not an organ. And I was like, I feel like that's wrong. (laughs) I feel like that's not how it's supposed to be. We shouldn't be reducing God to the tools that facilitate our worship, right? And and, and don't reduce God to, to, well, I like this instrument, or I like that instrument, or that song. That's always the song. Or, you know, I, I, and we, we start reducing God to what pleases us and to what makes us feel good as we worship. And we walk out and we say weird things like, worship was amazing today. Worship was so good today. I do it too, right? But I know that you walk out of here and say that. That's a weird thing to say, you guys, because, A, don't you think it should be God that's determining whether the worship was good or not? It was for him, right? And second... I hate to tell you this, we should be worshiping even if the band is really bad. Okay, the band, your band is amazing. I don't know where the band is. They're out there somewhere feeling so dissed right now. Great band. Shouldn't we be worshiping whether they are or not? Don't reduce God to the tools that facilitate your worship of God. Number three, don't reduce God to the things that point to God. Okay? I love being in the mountains. I love, you know, being under trees and hearing the sound of water running. It just, it just helps me. I, I just feel closer to God. It helps me worship. It does point to God. But don't ever get to the point where you go, you know what? I don't go to church, to church on Sunday anymore. I just go to the mountains because that's church for me. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. It's not. Yes, creation points to God, but don't sub it in, okay? And number four, don't reduce God to your memories of God. You know, you talked last week about Facebook popping up pictures, right? Some of us are still telling stories of our faith from 25 years ago, and that's the most recent thing we can think of. Don't reduce God to your, don't put God in a photo album of something that's going to pop up. Facebook will remind you of it, and you'll be like, oh, that was good. That was, God was good at that moment. Don't reduce God to that. He's a current, living, now God. Don't reduce God to something that can be captured and contained and fully comprehended. You know, I remember when I was pastoring in Hamilton, and there was a bike shop right next to our church building, bike repair shop. And the guy that owned it is this young guy. His name was Nathan, nicest guy. And, and we would talk sometimes. And I remember him one time just blurting out to me, he said, Patty, you know, like, I know you're a pastor. I know you're a church. That's all good. It's good. Good for you. But he goes, you know what I don't get about you Christians? You know what I don't get about you people that are religious? We were outside. He goes, look at the sky. I, I go outside sometimes in the middle of the night. I look at all the stars. I look at everything that's out there. And all the vastness that's out there. And I think, 
how do you think you have this all figured out? And I, we had a good conversation where I was like, well, actually, we don't. We just talk like we do sometimes. But we don't. Because God is much bigger than anything that we can understand. Don't reduce God to something that's so small. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and I'm going to invite uh, where you are, whether you're online or here in the room, do whatever helps you to just focus in for just a moment. Maybe close your eyes if that helps you. If you feel like that's weird, just sit up a little straighter. But something that, you know, helps you to concentrate in, because we're going to do a little reflection just for a moment, and then I'm going to pray, okay? I'm going to invite us to, to reflect in ourselves, and I want you to invite the presence of God, and let's just pause and just have a moment of quiet, and we're going to welcome God's presence, not only into this space where he is and has been, but deep into our hearts, our own souls, our own minds, and go, Holy Spirit, come and be present within me at this moment. And just pause and invite that in. And then once you've, you know, focused in a little bit, just ask yourself the question, Is there an area of my life where I've made God too small? Is there there an area of my life where I go, well, this is how God works? Or this is the only way that God can answer my prayer? You know, this is what I'm praying. I need God to answer in this way. Is there an area in your life where God's going, you know, you may not fully have me figured out in this space. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's in family. Maybe it's in your health. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your business. Maybe there's a thing where stuff has already started breaking in your understanding of God or in your understanding of faith, and you're going, you're this close, you know, hanging on by a thread, and nobody else knows it, but you're going, why? Maybe God isn't real at all, because it's not working the way I thought it was supposed to. It's not what I signed up for. This is not what I thought God looked like. Is there an area in your life where you've made God too small? And is it possible that in that space you've reduced God to an image of some kind and now you're just trying to prop him up and make sure he doesn't fall over? And I'm going to ask you to do something that's probably going to require some courage just within Because I know how it is to feel that vulnerability, and I know how it is to go, oh, I don't know. But in that space, and in that question, and in that place where, you know, you've just been going, God has to do it this way. God has to. God has to answer my prayer this way. This is how God is. This is, and it has to be like this. In that space, if you have the courage consider just opening that up and going, maybe, God, I don't have all the answers. But I'm going to trust you anyway. And, and hear the whispered voice of the God of the universe speaking into that space and going, I'm much bigger than you think I am. I am not as small as you think I am. Hear God say, I am timeless. I am all-powerful. I know all the things. I am beyond comprehension. And then hear that God say, and I love you. I love you. And invite that God who's much bigger than you thought. 
but who loves you so much. Into the space where an image of God is just not enough. Take a deep breath and go, okay, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to hand it to you. And I'm going to invite you to be God in my life. Lord, I pray for each one that's here, that as we ponder that and as we process it over the week, that you would bring um, help where it's needed. Bring some restoration where faith is so close to breaking. But most of all, bring your love partnered with your awesome power. Bring that together in our lives. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
maybe uh, that was kind of new for you to kind of look at a story in the Old Testament to think about how much it applies to us today. Can I just remind you of something that maybe you felt in this room? Is that all of us are creatures of habit. We are ready to get into our car, get our kids, eat, leave, all those. And those things that become such a habit to us, sometimes not even bad things, but just habits. They interfere with the things that God maybe is stirring in us. Can you imagine that the people in the desert have been in Egypt for 400 years? Do you know the kind of habits that they have as they're learning these commandments and these guidelines? That God has to teach them new habits and new ways of thinking and new ways of acting and new ways of loving. And that's called worship in the Bible. We're not just singing songs here. We're teaching you to pay attention to all the habits and the practices that enter our lives every day for six days. And we hope that two hours on the Sunday morning is going to set you free. That's a joke. That's a joke if you think that's going to happen. If you don't take what we're learning here and say, God, teach me to worship now as I leave. Teach me to take these practical things and make them real every day. God's freedom is never going to become real in your life. I'm going to invite you to stand. And can we just thank Pastor Patty for her, uh, her word to us? Thank you. A gift, a gift for us to know that there's brothers and sisters in the city serving loving and we're so grateful patty for just your courage to call us back to the importance of that commandment i can't wait next week to get to the next one those of you who've read exodus know what it is those of you who don't see you next week let's pray god thank you for teaching us that you've set us free to be formed into your people i pray that this time together would now overflow into helping us be those who are worshiping you every day. With our kids, with our coworkers, would we model what it's like that we are those who have a God that does not topple. We have a God that is much greater than our words can even express. We have our God who summons us to worship him, and we have done that, and we'll continue to do that. I pray again for Patty and for Evangel, for the churches in our community. Would you continue to use them and continue to use us and make us a church that never reduces you to being a small God that we can understand. Do something great in this province and in this country and would you do it through us? Because we love you, Jesus, and are here to bring glory to who you are. So would you use us and teach us what it means to be set free and to honor your guidelines for what it means to be human and what it means to worship you as God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, this week we got a few fun things going on. Don't forget, save the date for our picnic. Two, our learning series coming up just one night. Turn off Netflix. Come and learn with us as we take a look at the Reformation. And no need to rush off. If you need to talk to someone, say hi to someone. God bless everyone and have a great week. Bye, everyone.